my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where we're talking about the decentralized revolution, talking about the way the world is breaking apart. Of course, as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology, that technology being Bitcoin, which is this decentralized technology that's changing the world. You know, I like to bring to you some latest breaking news headlines, some education, and some interesting guests. You don't have to listen to me all the time. And that's what I have for you today. I'm sitting down with Jason Brett. He's a government affairs lobbyist for Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain technology. He's an advisor to the Bitcoin Policy Institute. And uh, boy, we have a lot to dig in today. Jason, thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mark. So, um, you know, I kind of had this list of things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, and maybe maybe we will. We'll see where we get there. But there was uh, some late breaking news that just came in uh, literally uh, as I'm sitting here recording that I want to talk about. And it is, um, oh man, I don't even know what to call it. It's, uh, of course it is, right? It's like a, one of those pieces of news. Like, of course, of course, this war is being used to uh, increase the state power, so to speak. And so um, the state, uh, the Treasury Department, which uh, I've done a video calling it like this, all-seeing eye of Sauron, like the Treasury Department, all of these like three, four-letter um, measures they put in place are just really about seeing everything. Um, and so the Treasury Department put out a piece of information, Janet Yellen, I think you said, um, put out something under the sort of cover of the Patriot Act, um, which is sort of banning or something, and I'll let you explain it, but banning the ability for cryptocurrency to use mixing technology that would sort of obfuscate the transactions that would prevent the all-seeing ISR on the Treasury from seeing everything. Is that about right? Yeah. It's not just seeing in this case, it would essentially ban the activity 
which means developers, people in the U.S. who might be building these products and services could be liable as well for implications with money laundering. Um, this is definitely uh, one of the areas that's called a special measure that is a result of 9-11 and the Patriot Act and, and the ability of the Treasury that's been granted certain powers by the U.S. Uh, to do things in financial markets and with financial institutions and financial accounts to potentially stop or, or halt like the next 9-11. Hmm. Now, just the other day, a couple of days ago, I saw a report from the Treasury come out and it said that uh, it was talking about funding going to terrorist organizations like Hamas. And it's, it, it said in there that they had received $2,000 worth of Bitcoin transactions. Um, but then they talked about all the other money that had gone there, which was way more than $2,000 that went through traditional banking systems, right? Yeah, you wonder if, like why we're spending all of this time on a very small portion of how Hamas is getting its funding. Um, a lot of what you're seeing in today's late breaking news and also that what you're pointing to, which is the other Treasury sanction from OFAC, is um, Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, wrote a letter to the White House um, and talked about the fact that, uh, you know, the U.S. needs to do something about the fact that there was a connection or supposedly a connection between Hamas and cryptocurrency. And um, it got so much attention because it wasn't just Senator Warren. She had about 26 senators and I think 76 representatives, mostly Democrat, but a few Republicans. Um, so that's gotten the attention of the secretary, Treasury Secretary, anybody time you have that many people from Congress alert them to what they say is this issue. It really is sparked by when the Wall Street Journal came out with a report from some uh, things that Elliptic, you know, the blockchain analytics company noted, which is that claiming that Hamas used cryptocurrency to fuel their attacks. Um, you'd think, you know, we're, we're so important, right? The cryptocurrency is the only thing that Hamas uses. Uh, it's like a small, small, like not even a, uh, a basis point, probably as far as the overall scheme of things, but it is getting this a kind of attention. Yeah, I uh, posted this on my uh, Instagram account, uh, which, by the way, if you're not following me, you should just search uh, Mark Moss on Instagram. But um, I posted this thing uh, on my story October 12th, and it was a chart showing crypto funds received by Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And it showed uh, 2021, 22, 23, and um, how there was like almost a complete drop down to nothing. It had reached uh, a high point in 2022 of about um, almost $10 million and dropped down to almost zero after Hamas um, put out a warning saying, do not send us Bitcoin, right? So even Hamas is saying, don't, don't send it to us. We don't even want it. And it's completely fallen off a cliff. So they said they don't want it. Don't send it to us. We can see from these analytics you're talking about that it's completely stopped, but yet they're still trying to pass laws about it. Yeah, you know, this is um, what we uh, call in D.C. the political football, unfortunately. They're taking this topic and making it. And Mark, what's really interesting is not only is it stopped, and it's funny you said Hamas said they stopped using it. Very often when we think about terrorist groups and the information they give, Usually it's false, right? They're trying to say, this is one time I really believe Hamas were like, no, we're really not right. using Bitcoin. Please don't do it. Because that's how the, a lot of the Israeli counterintelligence were finding people because they were using Bitcoin and they couldn't promise donor privacy. Um, and they, they essentially moved to, to Tether, um, which was interesting because then the Tether C, new Tether CEO came in like five days ago. And then the, Tether C, the new Tether CEO said, 
you know, we're stopping all these transactions. Um, you know, a little bit of a difference, right, between your centralized stable coin and your decentralized Bitcoin. But it was clear that that whatever Hamas was trying to do with Bitcoin had been disrupted so much so that in April 2013, they were crying uncle, like, just don't use it anymore. But, you know, why, why should uh, the, the truth get in the way of the fact that we have a lot of people in this country, particularly progressive Democrats, who uh, are strongly against this entire ecosystem, against decentralized finance, and have been trying to limit its growth for some time, um, uh, you know, from from creating these kinds of, of rules. What's What's alarming to me is the fact that we're now in this state of when the Treasury Secretary has discretion, because that should be in the the you know almost like like desperate of times when we're absolutely sure something is going wrong the treasury secretary can say okay i'm going to shut this off because yeah this might be mixers but then like what's to say okay mark moss we're going to shut off your account now cuz we believe like this is where we get into the censorship of transactions that gets very scary yeah um so when she talks about well, first of all i just want to say uh, for everybody listening um, we've, we've heard this story before. Um, there was the, uh, a big report called the FinCEN files that came out like two years ago and it, and it showed how, uh, FinCEN, which is of course the financial crimes enforcement network, which is exactly what we're talking about right here. Um, they're the ones that are doing this. Um, but these FinCEN files came out that showed that the banks were like actively laundering, I think it was $2 trillion for cartels. And this was known and there were fines paid and sure there was like things like that. Some of these banks had to pay a couple little fines or whatever. But what do you remember that? Wasn't there like $2 trillion that they were using in U.S. dollars through the U.S. banking system? Yes, it is yeah. a, a fact of where sometimes FinCEN isn't as, as, I should say, effective as it should be. So, yeah. So $2 trillion were used in dollars in, in U.S. dollars. Here we have... To, per the Treasury's own report, $2,000 of Bitcoin. So like uh, literally making a, making a mountain out of like a little speck or something like that. So this specifically, I want to dig into this specifically. So this specifically is going against mixers. And so there was the tornado cash incidents that happened earlier where the person who um, just wrote the code ended up getting uh, arrested, I think, for that. And so um, if they're going after mixers specifically, it says right here, if I'm reading it, the rule would identify international crypto mixing, a, pr a practice that anonymizes crypto funds by mixing them with others as a primary laundering concern and would require financial institutions to report transactions involving crypto mixing. So basically they're saying any use of this would be flagged and any institution that sees this would then have to file a SARS report, suspicious report or something like that. Um, but I'm curious of what this means and where this goes, but I got to take a very quick break. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss show, I'm sitting down with Jason Brett. He's a government affairs lobbyist for Bitcoin, crypto and blockchain technology. We're talking about this breaking news of this, uh, security release about cryptocurrencies. We'll be back with more in a minute after a very quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. 
They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm sitting down with Jason Brett, a government affairs lobbyist for Bitcoin, crypto, and blockchain technology. And we're talking about this late break, latest breaking news of the Treasury Department, the Financial Enforcement Crimes Network, and this rule of crypto mixing. So um, when I read it just here, it looks like um, they're saying financial institutions would have to report any transactions involving crypto mixing. Is, is that sort of the teeth of it? And, and what does that mean? Essentially, and, and this just came out today, so I'm still learning as well, but essentially uh, it's going to uh, force any, it, it's going after international crypto mixing. And it's, as you mentioned before, about with Tornado Cash. So Tornado Cash was a, essentially a tool, right? It's, it's a program, smart contract that was on the Ethereum network uh, where they found that um, North Korea was using that to mix or hide or anonymize, you know, Allegedly, Allegedly, probably, um, oh, yeah. you know, to their country to help with their, you know, nuclear missiles program. Um, and so what this would do is essentially it would it would flag um, uh, all mixers as money laundering, uh, you know, uh, operations. So, um, you know, we may have our own opinions about what mixers are. Um, but what's important, though, and what's what's scary about this, I think, or at least something we need to take a pause and think about is how does this affect the developers and the ecosystem? Like you mentioned with Tornado Cash, we saw the developer, you know, go to jail. Um, and, you know, is this going to have people who are building on, uh, you know, crypto right now and DeFi and building on stuff relating to the networks, you know, stop doing it maybe in the U.S. because why would they want to be potentially associated with a money laundering charge? Um but it, it again, it, it's, you know, you said it best. It's that eye, you know, it's the expanding eye of Treasury um, to, that, that is now being implemented as the result of 
at least what I thought about is what would ever happen if like they said somehow Bitcoin was used as part of a terrorist attack. We have $2,000 that supposedly was part of this, you know, and now of course it's, you know, that's the story. And, um, you know, we're plugging up a hole on like the Titanic regarding financial transactions. That's like a little tiny hole that has nothing to do with why like the Titanic is sinking. This is such a small portion. There's the potential. There's so much to new, uh, new to this. And the, the threat is, you know, we're killing off this technology or making developers scared to work in it because the treasury is getting involved with with all these rules. And they're applying kind of what you would call standard financial transaction rules to our space. And that's I don't know if that's right. They should have, you know, fit for purpose type regulations. Now, you said that we all have our own views of what crypto mixing is. So what's your view? So I think that crypto mixing has its place when it comes to people like in this country who maybe don't want necessarily someone to know, uh, you know, what I'm doing with with my cryptocurrency or Bitcoin, because I just want to protect my financial privacy. And I think there's a degree to which that I should be able to do that because I feel like I'm on the side of the white hats and the good guys, you know, where if I don't necessarily want you, Mark, or your audience to know what I'm doing with my Bitcoin um, or, or building something in my backyard or doing some hobby, you know, it should kind of remain my business. But it gets tricky, right? And the, the philosophical like question here that is, is way beyond my you know, ability to figure out and something, you know, to chew on is, what do we do when we have all of these uh, transactions on the internet? Are they are they all going to be like cash? Like if I have cash, I can just go to the store and buy something. You know, maybe I want to go buy uh, a donut for today, and, and I don't want my wife hassling about it. Or does everything have to be known in this new electronic uh, sphere? Well, it seems like cash has worked pretty well for a long time, and. Uh seems like that works. Um, but, you know, to your point, you know, a lot of people would might say that uh, if you have nothing to hide, then what are you worried about? Um, I love there was a quote from Edward Snowden who said, uh, those who say they don't need uh, privacy because they have nothing to hide is like saying, I don't need freedom of speech because I have nothing to say. And I love that quote. But, you know, to your point, like there's all types of things that you don't want to be public. I don't want my wife to know I had a donut, to your example. Or, for example, I worked out, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a business, and I worked out with one of my um, customers to give them a discount. And I don't want everyone else to know that they got a discount, right? Uh, there's, there's, there's a million legitimate reasons why we need some sort of privacy. Um, and I would, I would say, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, um, we know there's been uh, numerous counts and studies that have been done that... The majority of people are good. And, you know, for the one or 2% of people that may do something bad, why do we penalize the 98% of the people for that? Um, I would say that. The other thing I would say is that, you know, these terrorists or these criminals or whoever it is that they want to stop doing from whatever bad thing they're going to do, um, we already have laws against that. So, like, turns out we have laws against, like, killing people. <laughs> Turns out that's already illegal. Um, but this is sort of like a pre-crime almost, right? Where they're trying to prevent any instance that would lead to that as opposed to penalizing the crime itself. And the problem that I get into is that then I would imagine these terrorists also probably use cell phones and they probably drive cars. And I bet they even ate some food. So we should probably take away food because that enables the terrorists as well. Like where do you end up drawing that line? With uh, crypto, you know, we have, like you said, about cell phones, 
and I was a regulator with the FDIC, and I remember back in 2008, I, I forecast that we'd start doing banking on our mobile phones by the year 2020. Um, so it shows you how fast this stuff can spread. And we have people in so many different countries now that are using mobile phones and have access to this. And, you know, um, my first thought about something like that is that's a good thing. You know, people who never could have wealth, people in poor countries that finally have a cell phone can start to do something or build wealth for their families in a way that they maybe couldn't before. They couldn't have access to a tip traditional bank or whatever. Um, and then, you're, of course, you're going to have the people, the you know, the evildoers, as I you know call them, like a, people who take away the medicine and food from these people or whatever. And you know, you're just it, that's just a, a some that's a function of society. It's it shouldn't be a let's not progress with the technology. And I think that we have to understand that this technology is progressing to the point where we we should have probably some good rules. Laws are good to the degree that you know it protects us from basic crimes and things like that. But, you know, these, this is a very complex area. So making these decisions in this, you know, wartime frame of mind about, you know, what one transaction we found and, 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 and that is, is where we get bad policy and where I think we start to see our, our liberties infringed upon a little bit. And I, and that's where there has to be this careful balance because we don't want to take away the opportunity this technology provides for people who maybe were never be able to be banked before. So. So when you're going to um, when you're going to lobby for these things, I mean, you're are you are you in Washington? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So you're in Washington, and you're out there trying to talk to um, you know some of these these legislators, these lawmakers, their aides, most likely is probably who you're talking to. Whatever. I'm curious, one, what your angle is, like uh, how you sort of attack and open up that conversation. And then I'm also curious on what your sort of feedback and response is to that. Uh, but before you answer that, we're going to take a very quick break. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm sitting down with Jason Brett. He's a government affairs lobbyist uh, for Bitcoin, crypto, and blockchain technology, which is why we're talking about that. Uh, he's an advisor to the Bitcoin Policy Institute. We're talking about these new laws that have just been put into place or rules that have been put into place uh, restricting our freedom um, of technology. We'll be back with more on that in a minute. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm sitting down with Jason Brett, government affairs lobbyist for Bitcoin, crypto, and blockchain technology. And uh, Jason, right before the break, I had kind of thrown out. Um, so you're, you're there lobbying, you're, you're on the Hill, you're in Washington, um, and you're, you're, you're talking there. You're trying to lobby for this. You're trying to kind of voice this, uh, I don't know, this, be this voice of reason, if you will. Um, how do those conversations go? What's your sort of like angle or like, I don't want to say attack vector, but like, you know, how do you try to get them to understand this better? And like, what's that response like? Yeah. So a lot of it is, as you say, typically more of the staffers than the members, but um, it's a lot of education. And so up to the point prior to when Hamas, you know, invaded Israel, I think that the main conversation was around our friend Gary Gensler at the SEC and about trying to straighten out the issue of like, what are security tokens versus what are digital commodities? And it's really just trying to explain it as this is a new marketplace. Um, yes, it's, it's a threat. And sometimes the banking lobby isn't crazy about it because they feel like we're doing things that banks can't do. Um, so sometimes you have to explain this is, you know, new technology. It doesn't necessarily, if we just, you know, followed everything that the banks did from before, maybe we wouldn't have the innovation that we're having today. So it's an argument for, you know, financial technology innovation. And it's, it's, the, the other part is that if we don't do it here, it's going to happen in other countries. It already is. And so, you know, we can fall behind. You know, we risk falling behind in this industry, whereas with the Internet, you know, we didn't say, hey, let's just ban the Internet. And then it, you know, showed up in other countries. I think it's. It was actually the opposite, right? It was actually the opposite. They actually um, put special protections in for the Internet so it could allow it to f- flourish and grow. Yeah. And I, and I often um, make the connection between like what China did with Bitcoin mining, you know, and Bitcoin in general is they kind of threw it out of the country because it wasn't really something that they could control as, as a totalitarian state. Didn't really fit with their mindset. You know, we have a different mindset here. And so we need to understand that and make rules that aren't going to infringe upon the way this technology operates. You know, the BSA and AML, it's a long story, but it's and it's complicated. But um, the, the easiest way to explain it is, and it goes all the way to Sam Bankman-Fried, actually, is uh, Sam Bankman-Fried was pushing this bill over a year ago when FTX was there and was trying to impose BSA on like DeFi and layer two solutions and um, through this bill. And it got a lot of flack and it ended up blowing up. But as a result of the whole blow up with FTX and Sam Bankman Freed, this is an issue that still hasn't been resolved. And the problem is members and staffers are sort of saying, and if you think about it, Mark would be saying to you, hey, we just want a solution. Like, do we have the Bitcoin miners do the checking? Like, how do we do BSA? And the problem with that is they're thinking about BSA the way FinCEN operates today is, is and it's not necessarily completely effective. You know, they want to see all the transactions. And so the question has been, uh, who should be responsible? Should it be the layer two applications that's building on top of a blockchain or should it be the underlying blockchain, you know, nodes themselves? Should it be the miners? And the one the one thing I point to recently has been to say with the new treasury rule about taxes, if you remember the crypto tax 
reporting rules that happened a couple of years ago that Treasury is now figuring out a law for how the IRS is going to require Coinbase and others to do reporting on our taxes when we do the trading in crypto is, um, you know, it's making it very clear that nodes and miners aren't part of that, uh, um, uh, those individuals that are, are going to have to record these transactions for FinCEN. It's ultimately on the on-ramps and off-ramps. It's the Coinbase that's going to have to send my 1099 to the IRS to let them know what I'm doing. So I think that there's, you know, when you talk about it from that frame of mind, it's like, well, if, if they're not responsible because they don't know who the people are to do the tax reporting, why should they be people responsible to know who's doing the FinCEN type stuff that you're worried about? And so uh, part of the problem is, again, it's the fit for purpose. It's trying to explain this technology and educating them on the technology and making regulations that will fit and work with this versus just breaking things. And right now they're just breaking things because they're not taking time to understand the technology. And the other thing is why we should just apply everything we have from the old world of financial institutions to this like new world that, that we are excited to be in. So the angle is more like, hey, um, the US has benefited from technology and progress and uh, I would agree. I mean, really, if you look at what's, well, it's, it's not up for debate. I mean, just look at the S&P 500. It's being held up by the seven big stocks that are all like tech stocks, right? So if the U.S. didn't have this technology boom over the last 20 years in the U.S., the, the world, the financial markets would look much different. And so I guess your angle is sort of like, hey, look, we've been from this te technology boom the last 20 years. Uh, we don't want to miss this next one. And if you guys continue to be overly regulated and overly aggressive, then what, it could drive it offshore? I mean, is, that seems to be sort of the angle, more than like a freedom standpoint? Yeah, more more driving offshore. I mean, from the freedom standpoint, that's important too. And that resonates with like really the Republican side of the aisle. And, um, but but it's- Because free, freedom is such right wing thing now? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, whether we like it or not, like the people really talking about Bitcoin have been actually Patrick McHenry, who's the acting chair. You know, he did. He actually went around and talked to other congressional members and did podcasts with them about Bitcoin back in 2017. And he was going on CNBC. You know, he really they carried the message because they saw it as that freedom money. Um, and we just didn't see that on the other side of the aisle. In fact, that's actually it's interesting that we're talking about this because that's actually one of the biggest problems that the progressive Democrats and Warren have with Bitcoin um, and also the, the squad and everybody else is because to them, they understand what Bitcoin's trying to do. It's trying to do freedom money, right? But and I've and I've talked to the progressives, I talked to their offices about this too. But what they don't like is they say, well, this is correct. We need to have some kind of money where the government isn't going to get in the way of minorities or all this kind of thing. But it shouldn't come from somebody in Silicon Valley. It shouldn't be a technology like Bitcoin. It should be the Federal Reserve and Jay Powell and the White House and Treasury and Janet Yellen that figures out the solution for our people, not you. And, and that's where that's where you can't really talk about the freedom money with them. And that's why they're pushing back so hard against crypto because in there. Well, but 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 then what's the angle, right? So like I, I get that push and that's sort of what the BIS is selling, uh, saying and that's what uh, even uh, you know, Lagarde at the ECB, which by the way, there's another big piece of news coming out of the ECB as well about Bitcoin and crypto, or I should say CBDCs. But what the BIS is selling, saying is that it should come from the government. All money they're saying comes from the government. And the BIS specifically says that um, 
we need the trust of the central banks. But that's actually completely false. So first of all, uh, nobody trusts the central banks. Uh, second of all, we, we're really only in this like 50-year experiment of fiat money. Um, if you look past 50 years, you see that it had been gold that had been money for 5,000 years. And really, it was commodity money. So it was gold. But even further back, it was feathers, rocks, seashells. So it was never government money. It was always a commodity that the market had chosen. So other than this 50-year experiment, that's actually not false. I mean, could you use any history on them or no? I, I could. I'll tell you, though, that there's even though there's agreement at how exciting this technology is, when you get into monetary policy, you're entering like a whole new world. And the, yeah. the, the things, when we saw Biden's executive order two years ago, right, um, about digital assets in the US, uh, you have to remember at that time, that was the Federal Reserve, the Treasury and the White House basically decided a few things about our space. They decided that we, the government, need to set monetary policy that we need to regulate the safety and soundness of any financial transactions and financial institutions, as well as protect consumers and also protect against illicit transactions, or in this case, when terrorists are using the money. And so this sort of falls in that third bucket of where the government feels they have that requirement. So even people that support Bitcoin, Mark, would actually hold back and actually believe that the, the central bank is who we need to rely on. Money. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately, it's that last piece that you said, which is uh, prevent bad people from using it. And so the balance is always like, well, freedom, but uh, bad people. If you just tune in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm sitting down with Jason Brett. We're talking about regulations in the Bitcoin crypto space. We'll be back with more in a minute. Don't go away. Be right back. All right. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. And we are talking about some late-breaking news that's happened in the cryptocurrency space, in the fog of war, if you'll call it that. Um, you know, we were talking about um, some of this kind of pushback that you have when you're lobbying for this. The other thing I would think is that they're all pushing for this financial inclusion, right? And that's like this big piece you can see in the ECB, the BIS. And they think that if we make money digital, 
then there'll be more financial inclusion. Um, but maybe they don't realize that actually most of the exclusion comes because you have to have permission to join and the permission isn't able to be given for any number of reasons, whether there's no ID from your fleeing a country to you're a kid that grew up in Iran and there's sanctions or whatever it may be. So we have 2 billion adults in the world, maybe that number's come down a little bit, who have no access to banking. And the majority of that is because they don't have permission to join. Um, and so even if the central bank, whichever central bank you wanna say, does provide us with this digital money that should provide for more inclusion, it's actually going to be less inclusion, um, less than we even have with cash, uh, right? I mean, what about that angle? Yeah, I mean, and that's where you can talk a little bit about the fact that, I mean, in 2009, Bitcoin came out with the first idea of digital cash where we're you know, able to have a system of money that, that works that way. I will say in the US, like particularly Tom Emmer, uh, who's the, the majority whip and Republican, um, has been pushing back on the idea of a CBDC. So I should mention there's been some anti-CBDC legislation in the U.S. that has a lot of Republican support. Um, it's it's really this concern of they're seeing what China did with the CBDC and the question of, you know, we don't want financial surveillance to be part of our society. So when we get to the CBDC in the U.S., it isn't necessarily in the Christine Lagarde, hey, let's go all in on this digital euro thing. There's a lot of people pushing back on it. Um, regarding sort of the, the Federal Reserve and, and where they're looking at this, this kind of money now, I think that for CBDCs, they're, they're, they're looking at, you know, that versus sort of stable coins and what, what digital money looks like. And essentially for them, they're stuck in the paradigm of you need to have it be a liability against the central bank, which, you know, I mentioned before, like I was a regulator at the FDIC during the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. That's at least where I, my, I, my eyes started to get open when the Federal Reserve just started increasing their balance sheet, to sort of, you know, mint money into the world. And the question is, it's kind of scary, at least when I hear you say that, Mark, to think like, okay, what does a central bank do? Now let's do this digital money. Is this going to be like Federal Reserve on steroids, right? Or is there going to be like right. what, things that are going to go into people's central bank digital currency accounts and start charging interest when they want us to prod to spend, spend, spend. You know, that's the that's the thing they've talked about. I mean, the central bank has openly talked about how to improve the lower bound and, and do things like interest on, can you imagine if you had 100 central bank digital currency dollars in your wallet and all of a sudden one day you see a flash saying, you got to spend or we're going to take $2 out by the end of your month. You know what I mean? So, right. yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, super scary. <laughs> um, I I want to jump. I want to jump conversations for a minute and uh, talk about um, another piece that maybe you're sort of uh, hearing about or being involved with, which is sort of this delayed decision from the SEC on a Bitcoin ETF. I'm a little bit confused. Um, it seems to me that you have like this Gary Gensler, um, Elizabeth Warren. Um, potentially sort of Obama-Biden coalition over here that are really just like anti-tech. They're just like trying to shoot down anything technolo technology overall. And in, in regard to the Bitcoin ETF, I mean, Gensler, it seems like what, what they're saying, why they're denying these ETFs is because they can't verify or certify that there's not a lot of fraud or wash trading going on in these uh, exchanges. And so they don't know if the price discovery is working properly. Is that really their concern? Um, two, why would they allow it in the futures market? And then uh, right, let's start there. Yeah, so I don't necessarily want to lump Gensler in with everyone else because 
Gensler's had his own sort of crusade about crypto specifically in Bitcoin. And I think there's a very good reason to believe that the reason we've been delayed with these ETFs is, yes, there's some possibility for manipulation of price, but there really isn't any good reason. As you said, if we have a futures ETF, why we can't have a spot ETF? And my opinion on that is I think it relates to Gensler's concerns about the environment and the Bitcoin mining energy that goes into it. And, you know, Gensler is, he doesn't, if he were to approve a Bitcoin ETF, even though if he has everything in front of him to say, yeah, let's approve it, it's just going to sit on his desk because, you know, Biden's administration is like very much, you know, climate friendly and anything that's going to hurt the climate, that's like their number one priority. And Bitcoin kind of erupted into this thing that supposedly hits against Biden's climate goals. So there's a political reasons why I think we're not yet seeing that ETF approved by Gensler. Gensler's a little bit of a rare bird. Do you think Gensler's, in your opinion, do you think it's more about Gensler trying to kind of err on the side of climate and Bitcoin being bad, which is why he won't approve an ETF for that? Err er on the side of, of caution, like using climate as an example, because Gensler is looking, at least some people have reported, he's looking to maybe be the next Treasury Secretary. So he's he doesn't want to do anything that's going to hurt him in the Biden administration. So he if he were to approve hmm. a Bitcoin ETF, and Warren would probably come down on him like a ton of bricks. So th there's, there's no good reason why we don't yet have a Bitcoin ETF. There should be one. There's no question we have a futures one. There's Bitcoin ETFs that function in other countries. There, if to me, there's just no good reason why we don't have it yet. I think you're seeing him go through the motions. Um, my take probably wouldn't be popular because I don't think you're actually going to see an ETF approved, at least in this year. I think it won't be till late 2024 or till Gensler's out of the office because I don't think it's something he just wants to do. Wow. That's pretty big. Well, if he keeps up with it, he's going to be out of office sooner than he thinks. I mean, I know there's a lot of pushback to Gary Gensler. There's uh, calls for his resignation. There's even calls to restructure the SEC so that uh, they don't even have a chair anymore. And now it's just more more limited. So um, yeah, at the, at the rate he's at, um, I think that's very interesting. And, and I guess this might be the next thing to jump into. I hadn't planned this, but um, I had never thought that that you know, maybe Gary Gensler's thinking about Bitcoin being bad for the environment, so I'm not going to prove that. He seems like he's been very pro-Bitcoin. Obviously, he was teaching at MIT back, you know, many, many years ago. Um, and uh, to even think that's an issue that, he, I mean, he's not there for the freaking climate, man. He's there for protecting consumers from securities. Like, that's it. Like, that should not even be part of his uh, thinking, which, by the way, that's what lots of states are now filing lawsuits where you shouldn't be able to, or they want to ban banks from using that as part of the decision criteria. Look, you're there for this very narrow, specific piece, protecting consumers, which you've done a horrible job at. Look at FTX, you should probably step down in disgrace. But this is what you're there for, not climate. But I'm curious, and I, we're running out of time here, uh, but it seems like the narrative around this has, is rapidly shifting uh, to me and uh, where Bitcoin is now starting to like, oh, it could, it could fix all of our uh, energy grid situations. And as a matter of fact, AI uses way more energy than Bitcoin does. Have you started to see some sort of a shift there? Yeah, there's a lot of progress and a lot of the traditional groups like Greenpeace and others are not happy about it. There's been some pushback, frustration. But it does mean that I think we're winning on this idea of how Bitcoin can really help with balancing the grid. 
Um, it's important to remember, and if you look at Gensler's agenda, one of his agenda is the climate thing, and the Republicans in the House Financial Services Committee have been pushing back hard on that, saying just what you're saying, Mark. Like, no, like we're not. It's not about the climate. It's about the economy, you know. And so, yeah. I think that yeah, there's there's definitely reason why I think you might see Gensler start to decide maybe if you know the BlackRock and everything sort of is lining up where maybe he's going to be forced to sort of approve one of these ETFs. And he might do that because remember Biden's running, you know, for president 24 and if he wants to be part of that ticket or part of the, you know, club, he's going to have to show he is somewhat friendly because it isn't just crypto that that uh people are frustrated with Gensler about. Like you said they want to change the whole SEC and it relates to just some broader market stuff that he's done. Yeah. Boy, that's uh, we've covered a lot of ground. I didn't really anticipate going this direction, but we have to cover where the news is at. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, always breaking down the decentralized revolution. I've been in studio with Jason Brett, government affairs lobbyist for Bitcoin, crypto, and blockchain technology. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Let me know. Send me a comment on social media. Let me know what you think. And that's what we got for today. Thanks so much for listening. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.